This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the fall of 2022, we're going to be looking at Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah, and we're right in the middle of our study of Hosea. We're moving into our third week of the study of Hosea, and Bob Bunn is with us again this week. Bob has been with us the past two weeks, and he's with us this week. He'll be with us again next week, and he is our I guess we call resident expert. We've been kidding about that, but he's our he's our uh, person that we've called on to help us think through the study of Hosea a little more clearly. So, Bob, thank you for being a, with us again this week as we walk through Hosea. Absolutely, Dwayne. Thanks. Today we're looking at chapter ten, verses five through fifteen. The main point here, the summary statement, is that God's judgment will be experienced by those who reject Him. There's four points in the outline for this particular section of Hosea, and here are those four points, false religion, misplaced trust, what could have been, and sowing unrighteousness. That first section, false religion, looks at verses 5 through 8 of chapter 10. In these verses, Hosea declared that the inhabitants of Samaria would respond with fear as their sacred idol was carried off to Assyria. Carrying off their idol would bring shame as they felt the full force of defeat at the hands of the Assyrians. Losing their king and the abandonment of their worship centers would lead some to desire death. The key idea here is that believers must beware of substituting religious practices for a relationship with God, which is a theme we've seen in Hosea. We saw that last week in some, some way. Second point, misplaced trust, which is verses 9 and 10. In these passages, Hosea pointed to Gibeah and the sin of the people calling for a king as continuing with the Israelites at this point in history. Those who trusted in military and political regimes for their security would be overtaken by God at his choosing. Israel faced God's judgment because of their apostasy and trust in military might. The main thing for us to remember here is that believers should trust God in all areas of life. Point three, verses 11 and 12, is what could have been, is what we've titled this section. Here, Hosea explained that God had a plan for Ephraim as a trained heifer or trained calf. She was to plow and sow righteousness and reap kindness. They were to be busy breaking up the ground in anticipation of the Lord coming to them. The main point is that believers should focus on righteousness as they await the return of Jesus. The last section in our outline looks at verses 13 through 15 that we've entitled Sowing Unrighteousness. In this section, Hosea emphasized that Israel instead plowed unrighteousness and produced injustice. Since they trusted in themselves, warriors, and fortresses, they would face destruction. The thing that we should understand here is that people are accountable for their actions. Now, Bob, there's all kinds of places mentioned in these verses. Um, and I'm sure most of us don't have the historical background to even realize 
what they are. I know for sure the folks in most of our groups want. So how can we help our group get a handle on these without it overwhelming them or taking center stage during our group time? Yeah, there are several places that are mentioned. Uh, one of the first things that folks can understand is that some of these places are talking about the same thing. So you're talking about there's references to Israel, there's references to Samaria, there's references to Ephraim. Those are all talking about the Northern Kingdom. So anytime you see that, you can almost replace it with the Northern Kingdom. And so help people understand that there's just different ways of saying the same thing. Some of these other places, though, really, you can lump them together as illustrations of Israel's depravity, of things that, that they were doing wrong. Uh, one of my favorite ones in here, and, and Jose uses it a lot, is, is the idea of Beth Aven, which is really his, his code name for the town of Bethel, uh, which if you literally, it means, it's a play on words, Bethel means house of God. Well, if you change it to Beth Aven, that means house of sin or house of destruction or house of disaster or house of emptiness. It's, it's, it's the complete opposite of being the house of God. And he uses that a lot, sort of as a sarcastic kind of biting accusation uh, against uh, against that city because it had gone from being a place that that was known for where Jacob met God to a place of idolatry because Jeroboam the first had, had set up a golden calf there. So you had those things, and you have would they be offended by that play on words? I think I, I think Hosea was hoping that they might be, or would uh, they have I been think, so? wrecked by sin they didn't even pay yeah I, th I think i think practically speaking they probably probably went in one ear or out the other just from what we know about the the northern kingdom but i think it was it was a term that that hosea would have used to maybe stir them up to 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 get their attention to to get them to think and some of these other places you mentioned gibeah as being the site where you know the people decided that they wanted a king instead of wanting to follow follow god and so they chose saul and we know how that ended up so, and there's other places like that as well. All these places for all the names, they're all just really illustrations of, of the problems that were being created. And so while we can talk about the names of these places and we can, we can kind of think about what they might mean, it's important to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. And that is Israel was sinning. Israel was fallen in, had fallen into idolatry. Israel had rejected God and they were going to pay a price because of that. Now, a couple of ways that the leaders might be able to do that is the, you know, the summary statement for this lesson is God's judgment will be experienced by those who reject him. Uh, I think it would, what leaders can do is maybe take that phrase, write it on a, if you have a dry erase board, or if you have a, you know, a poster size sheet of paper or something, maybe a, one of those really big sticky notes or whatever, and just write that phrase on that and leave it up during the entire lesson and continue to come back to that. Okay, we talk about this place, but here's what this place really points to, the fact that God's judgment is going to be experienced by those who reject him. We can talk about this place, but again, it goes back to the summary statement. So continuing to, to help people see that as being the main thing is going to be important. The other thing I think folks can do is to, just to focus on practical application. Um, yeah, the names of the places are important. They have significance. They mean things. But what does this really mean for us today? What did it mean for the original audience in the 8th century BC? And what does it mean for us today? How do we apply that? If we can keep our focus on the application and what we're going to do after we leave the class and walk outside the walls of the church, then that's going to help us keep our focus on where it needs to be. I guess one way we could encourage this too is for 
us to invite our group members to name places that should have been places that were uh, safe places or places of worship, but they turned into something other than that. They turned into a, a painful experience. It could be historical uh, within our country or our whatever state we live in or something like that, where it becomes something we, that should have been celebrated, but it's not celebrated anymore because of something else that's happened there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The key doctrine for this session is sanctification, and it reads this way. Growth in grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life, and it includes these two passages, Psalms 92, 12 through 14, and 2 Peter 3, 18. How does this doctrine, or how is this doctrine seen in this particular passage from Hosea? One of the things we keep coming back to in Hosea, we've talked about in both of the both of the earlier podcasts and and, and that is that, that God always has, he's always, I guess there's always a bright side. There's a silver lining to all these dark clouds, if you want to think of it that way. And that's what this is, this idea of sanctification means, is, is that even through all the sin, even through all the, 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 the wrong and the idolatry and all the things that Israel was kind of mired in at the time, God still had hope for them. God still had hope that they could, they would return to him and that they would practice sanctification, that they would, that they would be renewed, that um, they would continue to grow in grace. Um, this passage, especially, I think it's verse 12, where it talks about the turning up the, 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 the ground like a plow. Um, it's that, that uh, farming kind of image that would have been so familiar to, to 8th century BC Israelites. Um, that they would hook up the hook up the oxen or hook up the cows, and they would they would take that sharp blade and they would turn up ground so they could plant. Um, that that's a really good illustration of what sanctification feels like. Sometimes uh, it can be painful. It can be it can be uh, hard at times. Uh, it, it can it can expose things that we really don't want to have exposed at times. But God says that's how you get a blessing out of it. That's how you. That's how you learn to grow. That's how you become more like me. Is when you allow me to kind of take that blade uh, to the fallow ground and and turn it up and make something new out of it. You really can't have a harvest without broken soil. And so, you know, as as difficult as it can be, um, this this image of of sanctification, this this encouragement towards sanctification, is uh, is something that God is is planted in this this book of Hosea as well. You mentioned the plowing analogy. In verse 11, Hosea makes a statement that Ephraim is a well-trained calf or heifer, mm -hmm. you know, in your translation, that loves to thresh and then says, but I will place a yoke on her fine neck and I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will be the final. We'll do the final plowing. Uh, help us understand that image of being a trained calf or heifer here. Yeah. It's really the difference between threshing and plowing. Um, what he's talking about with, he loves to thresh. Uh, threshing was, was they would lay the grain out and the cow would walk around in circles tied to this, to this wheel sort of thing. And he would crush the grain and then they would take it out and they would, they would uh, throw it up in the air and the, the chaff would blow away and the grain would come down. So, but the threshing was pretty easy. All the cow had to do was continue to walk around in circles. Uh, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't hard work for the cow. And really the cow got the benefit of it because 
it could, it had to supply of food. <laughs> Anytime it got hungry, it could bend down and it could eat some of that, that grain that had been threshed out. And the law actually, the law of Israel actually uh, encouraged that to, to not, to not muzzle the ox. You've, you may have heard that phrase, don't muzzle the ox. That's what it's talking about. Don't put a muzzle on the ox and, and so that it can't eat what it's working, working to thresh out. The, but plowing was another matter altogether. It was much harder work. Uh, you did have the yoke. You did have the limitations. You did have the restrictions, and you had to pull, and you had to um, you had to break up that ground, and so it, it was much harder work for for a cow to do that. But the benefits were so much greater because without the work of the plow, you never could get to the threshing. Uh, it had to happen in that order, and so God is basically saying, you know, for a long time you've had it pretty easy. You've, you've kind of gone through your routines. You've done the things that, that I've told you to do. You've had all my abundance there. Uh, you've had access to everything, all my blessings just right there at your fingertips. But now things are going to get a little harder. And you've been a little out of control. So I'm going to put a yoke on you to make sure that, that you stay within the boundaries of where you're supposed to be. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful, but it's going to be worth it. There's going to be a benefit at the end. And so that's, that's sort of the difference that he's talking about there. Throughout this chapter, chapter 10, we see this idea of sowing and reaping that principles prevalent. Are there other places we might point to in scripture that would add to the discussion about what Hosea is saying in these verses? Probably the most obvious one is, is Galatians chapter six, where Paul basically says, you, you know, don't be deceived. God is mocked. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. We're, we're pretty familiar with that. Uh, also in second Corinthians chapter nine, he talks about the one who sows and the one who reaps. Uh, so there's, you know, he's talking financially there. Uh, so it's a little different context, but we know that imagery, uh, but really it's, it's that theme runs throughout the entire length and breadth of the Bible. Um, you know, when, when, when God first came to, uh, to Abraham, you know, he said, these are the blessings I want to give you. Uh, if you will obey me, if you will do the things that you're supposed to do, then you will experience my blessings. And then the law uh, that he gave to Moses and the gave to the people through Moses had the same principles. If you obey me, you'll find blessing. If you disobey me, you're going to find curses or find, find judgment, blessings and curses. Um, the Davidic uh, covenant that he made with King David and, and the royal line, you know, if your descendants will continue to bless, continue to obey me, uh, you'll never, you'll never fail to have a man on the throne um, from your line. And so, you know, this, this, this whole idea of what you do affects what you get uh, is not, it's not unusual. It's not rare. It's even in the wisdom literature. There's, there's verses in Proverbs and in Job that talk about, you know, if you, if you reap, if you reap calamity, you're going to sow, or if you sow calamity, you're going to reap calamity. And so we see that all the way through. And, and so by the time it gets to Paul in some of these passages, it's sort of a well-established principle of scripture. Now, again, we talked about this before, that doesn't mean that you can back God into a corner. And it doesn't mean uh, that, that God was going to bless you financially or materially just because you obey him, because we're not going to, we're not going to fall for some kind of prosperity theology uh, thing here. That's not what we're talking about. But the fact is that God does bless those who obey him. He blesses those who honor him and he, he does judge those who don't. And so we have to keep that in mind. 
And we have to remember he defines the blessing, not us. <laughs> That's exactly right. And and we have to remember that, um, you know, we talked about motives in some of the earlier podcasts, doing things with proper motives. And, you know, our motivation for obedience isn't what we're going to get out of it. Our motivation for obedience is gratitude for what's already been done. You know, our, we can't earn God's love. We can't manipulate God. We can't, uh, we can't, we can't do anything to make us love him for make him love us more. Um, but we can sure show our appreciation to him and our gratitude to him. And we should, because, because of what he has done for us, we should be willing to do even more for him. Well, sometimes the most challenging part of the lesson is getting it started. Uh, and there's some ideas every week. There's ideas in the leader guide and in the leader helps in the daily discipleship guide for getting us, moving forward. And this week's lesson in the options in the leader guide, you find this idea of an object lesson where you're using packets of sugar substitute. You could use either that pink stuff, the blue stuff, whatever color you want, pick your packet color and have it on a display. And then when the, as the group comes in, you just want them to identify things that people sometimes substitute for a relationship with Christ. You can begin by, if you've got the pink ones or the blue ones, whichever color you want, both of them. Folks could pick which one they would rather use or whatever. Why and ask why did you pick that, and then move into that uh, from that into discussion about why we may substitute something for a relationship with Christ, and then it moves us into this question of how do people become blinded to the real thing once they get used to the substitute. So that then leads us into having this conversation about false religion, which is what be, is the first point uh, in verses five through eight of the study of chapter 10. So that engage idea, that alternative idea using this object lesson of simple packets of sugar substitute would be a great natural way uh, to get uh, started. Are there other key thoughts or ideas that you would have uh, to share with our group as we think about session nine here? In, back in verse, talking about verse 11, uh, he, that, that's the one time that he brings in Judah uh, to the discussion. And I think it's interesting that, that God still sees his people as being united, that God still sees his people as being one, even though they had been politically and geographically separated for hundreds of years by this point. Uh, he still longs for the unity of his people. Uh, there's so much in this passage. Um, sometimes we, we blow through the the minor prophets, uh, if we study them at all, uh, and we just kind of read through them just because we feel like we need to sometimes. But there's so much there and so much we can apply um, to the 21st century that has carried over from the 8th century BC. Uh, we still struggle with a lot of this stuff today. And so, again, I've said this before and I'll, I'll say it again. Um, I really encourage folks to focus on their application and, and what they can take away from it and what they can what they can do to make, to, to use this information to become more like Jesus. From time to time in the podcast, we've mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family, Leader Pack, Adult Commentary, Quick Source, just to name a few. You can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. That's goexplorethebible.com, no spaces. Thank you for listening to us this week. We hope you'll join us again next week. We'll be looking at the fourth session from Hosea be session 10 for the quarter, but it'd be our fourth study from Hosea. We're looking at Hosea 
verses one through nine of chapter 14. And the main point there is that God promises to forgive all who turn to him in repentance. Mm -hmm.